This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. It is Bethune-Cookman week, so instead of giving you the typical preview podcast going into that game, uh, we are just going to do a mailbag podcast here on Tuesday and uh, maybe do a wrap-up an instant reaction type of podcast after the Bethune-Cookman game. Again, Bethune-Cookman, uh, FCS-level opponent, 7.30 kickoff, ACC Network. Bethune-Cookman is 1-1 one and one on the year. They have lost, they lost their season opener to Memphis, 56-14. Last week, they beat Savannah State, 31-6. They do have a new coach in Wayman Woody this year, who was... On the Willie Taggart Oregon staff with Mario Cristobal. So there's certainly coaches that know each other and are familiar with each other in some capacity. Um, As you know, these FCS games present opportunities to young players to go uh, show what they got. So uh, it'll be fun to watch in that aspect. Gabby, before we get into the mailbag portion of this podcast... Uh, we've been hyping up this fun video game simulation deal uh, for college football fans that love to game as well. Tell the people about it and how much it is, where they can play it. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You know, Inside the U is also brought to you by Football Coach College Dynasty. That's Football Coach Colon College Dynasty. Uh, you can find this game on Steam, so it's exclusively for the PC. It has a 95% positive rate, uh, rating on that. And uh, it's a really cool opportunity to just do a lot of the things that we kind of love about the sport of college football. And you can be a coach, you can create game plans, call plays, recruit players, you can develop your team, compete for national championships, and also features all the off-season stuff conference realignment, boosters, official visits, for recruits, transfer portal, and NIL. Uh, The game is just $11.99 on Steam, so a really cool opportunity to, again, just kind of dive deeper into the game, build up a program, and win a couple national championships, build recruiting classes. It sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like a a way that I would would spend my time, uh, truthfully, you know, uh, especially some of my free time that uh, you know, again, love that type of stuff. And football coach college dynasty is uh, your one-stop shop for all of that. All right, check it out. Let's get into the mailbag questions. First question comes from Evan0607, who asks, after two weeks of play, what are your current record predictions? Have they changed for either of y'all? Because they have for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, just kind of going through watching back, um, you know, when we're I'm, when I was kind of you know factoring in eight and four, which was I think both of our preseason expectations. You know, I, I was kind of circling this Texas A&M game as as one of those losses. So uh, I think Miami winning that game, uh, you know, I don't know how much it changes. Just like my big picture expectations for what this team can be, but I will say at this point, I'm I'm certainly more encouraged about what the 2023 Miami Hurricanes uh, can be. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm probably leaning closer to nine and three at this point. Maybe like that's maybe my new bar is just like, hey, let's see if this team could go out and win nine games. Like, you know, obviously I still think eight wins would be an improvement, but I think just what we've seen from them, uh, you know, again, in that SEC against SEC competition, you know, I, I can definitely see this being a nine win team. So uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm personally willing to go there. Uh, just because I think we've seen some, you know, again, improvements. I still think this team has a long way to go. And obviously it's very early in the season. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, too like all in after, you know, one good performance. Cause I think this team's going to have multiple opportunities to show it and still have some really tough games. But I think this is, is a team that could potentially go out and win nine games. So uh, at this point, so I think that's where my bar kind of sits now. Yeah. I think for me personally, the way I think about it is look, no doubt, I was encouraged by that performance against Texas A&M. Um, there's no other, you know, they they went out and played a good good brand of football in all three phases. And so I was encouraged by that. But my, my personal approach is I don't really want to reevaluate my preseason predictions of eight and four until the midseason point. So, you know, until game six is played and, you know, conveniently that six game on the schedule is against North Carolina, which I think is going to be a, a big barometer on what this team can be as well. Um, you know, in, in my own head, I just, I just like to reevaluate things. I, I have my preseason thoughts, reevaluate it after at the midway point. And then, you know, we can do a holistic kind of retrospective at the end of the season. I'm still I'm still iffy on the depth, you know, and maybe that's why I'm not quite ready to go all in on like, yeah, this is a nine and three team. But again, I, I do feel like the eight and four record that I thought at the end of camp is definitely a more of a lock than it was then. And there, you know, after this Texas A&M result, there is more upside potential than I expected with this team. So read into that however you want to read into that. But I want to see how they look against Georgia Tech coming off a of bye week. I want to see how they perform at North Carolina. So those will be, you know, that game at North Carolina will conclude the first half of the season. Let's see how things are. And then the second half of the season, you know, you got some tough tests there. You got Clemson. Yeah. Uh, at NC State is yep. going to be a tough out. At Florida State, going to be a tough out. That late run is hard. Like that, that back half of the schedule is 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 something. Right. And so, how does this team navigate a season? I think that's still to be determined. I'm still comfortable with eight and four right now, even with that Texas A&M uh, victory. That was a highly encouraging victory. But there's still a lot more season to be played. Right. So, uh, I'm going to stick with the eight and four, but. I I wouldn't push back on people thinking nine and three now. I would not. Um, next question goes to go comes from Law five 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 nine, who asks between the cornerback and the wide receiver room, 
which position group do you have more confidence in going forward after their performances during these first two games of the season? For me, uh, I mean, I, I went with the cornerbacks just because I do feel like those guys uh, performed well in a, in a really tough test, uh, you know, with, with that A&M wide receiver room. I think they they showed how they can kind of even contain a, a bigger type of pass catcher in a Noah, in Noah Thomas, who's 6'6" you know, had three touchdowns in that opener and then someone so explosive like Evan Stewart, where again, I don't think that his, his, the end of the game stats tell the whole right. story of how well Miami really played uh, him just really, obviously just those first three quarters mostly. Um, so I, I, I am more encouraged about just maybe the cornerback play and maybe it's because I had lower expectations for the cornerback room. And I think they've just overperformed or outperformed my expectations to this point. Again, maybe just like, let's just say against Texas A&M, um, they've outperformed my expectations so much that I do think uh, I do I do feel like that could be a room uh, that emerges as maybe one of the surprises of you know the season. Let's see how they do, but I am pretty encouraged about what I saw from those guys against a, a real a real test in Texas A&M. So that's why I'm leaning there. But I think I mean I tossed around both sides. Like I yeah. think there's argument to be made. It's a fair argument. Way. Yeah, yeah. To me, this is a an interesting question because uh, I do think, as you were saying, Gabby, I do think you could go either way with it and make a fair argument on either side. I'll answer it this way. I, I think the talent level of the two rooms is fairly even. Um, and, you know, to that point, I think it's, there's still two rooms that need to be improved uh, from a talent perspective, you know, moving forward with recruiting and portal additions, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll say wide receiver. And the reason why I say that is because I think Generally speaking, on offense, you can scheme things up more to help receivers be be productive. I think Tyler Van Dyke is in a good place with how comfortable he is in this offense. And the offensive line is giving Tyler plenty of time to operate and find those open receivers. I think cornerback is a way harder position to play. And... um you know, while this cornerback room is far better than, than I expected, I think in general, you know, being legitimately good at defense comes down to height, weight, speed, pure physical traits. You know, it's like, I don't know, 70% of really good defensive football to me. And so I'd probably give the nod to the receivers again, just because I think on offense, you can overcome some trait deficiencies easier than you can on defense. Um, I do wish Miami's receiver room had a little more juice to it in terms of, of speed and suddenness. Uh, but I think they showed on Saturday, they can overcome that by, you know, this, this air raid passing system that Shannon Dawson has brought. One thing that, you know, hasn't really been talked about much by us on this podcast is how, they did a really good job just spreading the ball out to all the different sectors of the field. Like there was deep passes left, deep passes, right? Deep passes down the middle. Uh, they worked the intermediate game uh, left to right. They really did spread the ball around, which is a, a trait of the air raid offense. And so that's going to help the receivers catch the ball in space, pick up yak. Like we saw on Saturday Defensively, no doubt, like the scheme that Lance Guidry has implemented is helping these corners uh, be good players. 
I think they are better players than I thought they were going to be. But when you are having so much success with sending pressures and overloading offensive lines and protections, um, it forces a quarterback to get the ball out quick, which of course is advantageous to the corners. And then they just simply have to come up and make the tackle in space, which they've done really well up to this point. But um, it's a good question. I think where I'm at is, look, I think both rooms need to be improved. And they performed fine through these two games. But to answer this question, I would go wide receiver. Next question. Canes, Cowboys. Which players are you most excited to see get more burn against Bethune-Cookman? And then he, he says in parentheses, that could eventually be contributors at some point this year. For me, it's Ray Ray and Joseph and Ty. Oh, sorry, Ray Ray Joseph and Tyler Harrell. Both have been quiet so far, but could hypothetically add even more explosive potential to this offense. So, I think those are good answers. I know yeah. for me, like in terms of contribute at some point this year, I think Damari Brown. This could be like a big confidence boost type of sure. game for him. Uh, I think it's important to get like some of the depth offensive linemen in the, yeah. in there and give them reps like Tommy Kinsler, Samson Okunlola, Matthew McCoy, Jaden Wade. You know he's flashed whenever he's in, and you know this is just an opportunity to get him confidence as well. Um, and then look, these guys aren't necessarily going to contribute at some point this year, but I do find the linebacker group intriguing in, in Popo Aguirre, Marcellus Pulliam. Bobby Washington, Malik Bryant. I'm just curious to see who flashes the most of that group when they get in the game uh, on Thursday night. So I think the the, the two players that Kane's Cowboy brings to the question are, are kind of two of the guys, Ray Ray Joseph and Tyler Harrell. Maybe some of those corners get them more work too, but um, Ray Ray, I would, ex- I would assume is going to have a big game. Yeah. And uh, Tyler, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see his speed right uh, on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean Ray Ray Joseph was the first name that I that kind of came to mind. I know that the, I know they asked a question and you know that's who they kind of mentioned. But he he's definitely someone I want to see on Thursday just because again I think he's someone that you know I in the, this is a type of situation and setting that I think he's going to be really um, impressive. Would you be? In. Let me ask you this: Would you be against him starting to get some? looks as punt returner no definitely not no definitely not and I, I still think he might have a way to go even in that like you know i watched him play in high school and yeah like, yeah he, yeah he i think he like he muffed the punt in that game that he was playing in but again that's not like the end all be all but he's so explosive and so twitchy that i think it's just like i just want someone there honestly that's just gonna field the punt like i don't even care about like the like whatever all that other stuff is great but i just want someone so steady and reliable back there and if ray ray can be that then definitely and then uh, on top of everything that he can do once the ball's in his hands like i i would be very open to seeing him back there to me this uh, is a game where you do that though because you're gonna blow up bethune yeah so so get him some game reps in punt return for sure for sure I think I think this is this could be a really fun ray ray game defensively uh, i think like damari brown was the first person that i kind of thought there i thought even maybe like a Jaden harris that he might have to, who knows how long that's how long he's gonna have to fill in for but i want to see you know Jaden harris maybe get some confidence playing well uh, he made a nice play on special teams uh in that texas a&m game uh so hopefully you know we just we're gonna have to 
I think Jaden Harris kind of have to be the guy. So until Cam Kitchens is ready to come back, so kind of want to see him out there. Definitely the linebackers and maybe even some of like you know the younger you know like you talk about the like Jaden Waynes, uh, Joshua Fortin is someone else I'd like to see. Um, and yeah. then even maybe even like and maybe even like an Anthony Campbell because he was you know good in those situations yeah. that he played in uh, during that time. And again, who knows what the deal is with those uh, defensive linemen who are going to be out? So those are absolutely because and then even like I, I feel like this is like, I don't know if this is cheating, but like Ruben Bain, like if how long is the key yeah. going to be out? Like Ruben Bain, like just kind of letting him loose. And I think he probably needs one of these confidence games where he's productive and he's able to kind of do. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the things that he does really well in 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 a game like this against Bethune Cookman. So I think even Ruben Bain would be a fair answer to this question of just Lance like, Gidry like, said yesterday in the press conference, and I agree with him. Just after watching the game a couple times, that Ruben was held like two or three times in that game, where if he wasn't held, he would have had a sack. So he still hasn't gotten his first official sack at, at Miami, right? But um he got close against Texas A&M and some of those non hold holds non called holds were frustrating to watch in that game. I also think too, Jadis Richard, you know, this will be a good sure. game for him to get some burn as well. So, and also too, like AJ Allen hasn't quite gone off yet. Uh, this could be a big game for, for AJ Allen, the, the running back transfer. The star Horton group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami Dade. Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Starr is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Starr knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Starr directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at MidwaySports.com. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at TorresLionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Bumpin' Meat asks, who have you been most impressed with on offense and defense? Yeah. I mean, for me on offense, I mean, it's kind of lazy, but truthfully it's Tyler Van Dyke. Like I think, you know, what he has done to this point has been, I I just think we needed to see this from him and we knew he had it, but I think watching him kind of get back into form like that 
Uh, he, to me, has been uh, obviously yeah. the highlight of the, you know, the short season to this point. So Tyler Van Dyke, for sure. Colby Young is another that came, that quickly came to mind on offense, uh, just the way that he's kind of elevated his game uh, in his second mm-hmm. year at Miami. And then defensively for me, it's, uh, you know, Jaden Davis and on and truthfully, truthfully, Daryl Porter. I think both those guys on the defensive side have been, uh, you know, really impressive to me, uh, you know, to this point. Yeah, I would say I agree with those. James Williams start looks like he's starting to turn the corner, which For is sure. encouraging. Um, you know, hot take on Colby Young. I think he's going to crack a thousand yards this year. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he does that. Um, you know, I was all in on Kiko Maui Noah after game one. I think game two was a little up and down. His Texas A&M performance was a little up and down for me. Uh, had those penalties and, you know, got to clean that up. Um but yeah, I, in, in addition to Tyler, I think just the offensive line unit has been very impressive. The way that they've, I mean, Tyler, the pocket that Tyler has to work with, it's it's uh, prototypical how clean it is uh, more times than not. So that's how I would answer that question. Kane NYC asks, as long as the team continues to play with enthusiasm and grit, do you think that this team is talented enough to make it to the ACC championship game? If so, and outside of Clemson, FSU, UNC, who would be the toughest opponent after the few games we have seen this year? Yeah. So, so I mean, I, yeah, it's kind of like a two part question, right? So first part talented enough to make the ACC championship. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that this, I, again, we're if talking no about like, injuries, if they get yeah. really good injury luck. I yeah. Think. If they get good injuries. Like, and again, I think that this is as long as this team kind of, again, if they maintain like what they've kind of been through two weeks, like I do think the team is good enough to potentially be the second. I mean, re- re- what we're talking about, right. Is can I be a fourth? Yeah. can be, but can, can I be, be one of those second. teams? Yeah. And I think they, I, I, mean, I think we'll find out soon, but I think they can be, uh, again, we'll see. I think a lot of things are going to have to go right, but I do think that the team, you know, as is, is talented enough to to get there. Let's see if they will, but I do think it's like in the realm of possibility. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at there. Again, I, I still think we're still so far away from that, and there's still so much football that has yeah. to be played. But, uh, you know, again, I think if this team kind of shows up and plays a complete – again, we, we still haven't even seen this team at its best. Like this team did not play a four-quarter game against Texas A&M. Uh, so I think if we see this team kind of, again, peaking at the right time, uh, you know, showing up, playing, winning big road games, um, winning big home games, uh, you know, I, I could definitely see an avenue to that, but I still think we're a ways away. I agree. I, I mean, I think they can't, I, it's possible. I didn't think it was possible uh, at the start, you know, before the season, but Clemson's kind of coming back to the pack. You know, North Carolina, I think, is going to be pretty good this year. You know, let's see how they bounce back after fighting, uh, you know, for a tough win against App State. And then the second part of this question, who would be the toughest opponent after the... So who who on their schedule is Miami's toughest opponent outside of Clemson, FSU, UNC, I think is what they're asking. You know, look, I think... I'm not saying Georgia Tech is Miami's toughest opponent, but I think they're better than what people thought they would be before the season. Like I think they're they're a team that can put up a fight at, you know, North Carolina State, I think is, you know, 
Brennan Armstrong's kind of just like an up and down quarterback to me, but playing at NC State in Raleigh is is always a tough experience. And then Louisville to me is interesting because I do think, you know, I don't think they're there now, but I do think as the season progresses, to me, they're a team that's going to get better. And so I could see that game being the trickiest of the non- uh, North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson games on the schedule. So Louisville, to me, is kind of like a boomer bust. I would bank on Jeff Brom making them better as the season progresses, though. Um, and so that's kind of the game at this point, after two weeks, that I would have circled. Yeah, I mean, I think the Louisville game's a good one. To me, It's I, I still feel like that, that going to Raleigh, that NC State game is – is going to be an interesting one. And just yeah. because, again, I think NC State is always one of those sneaky teams in the ACC where you're never really expecting them to to win it. But, I mean, a couple years ago, they, you know, Clemson went into NC State and lost uh, when Clemson was still kind of, you know, thought to be, you know, really, really good. Um, or maybe they went to Clemson and, like, snapped that streak. I don't know, but Clemson, NC State's always a tough team, uh, is always a tough team to beat. And going to that stadium is always, uh, you know, an event. I think when Miami went last time, they did like a blackout uh, where like, you know, it was just kind of like, crowd. yeah, they definitely get that place, get that place uh, rolling. So uh, I, I still feel like NC State is a tricky one. And then just where it falls on the schedule, too, with, you know, just I think it's like right before, before FSU. Yeah, right before FSU. Um, and then, you know, you're coming off Clem, you're coming off the streak of at UNC home versus Clemson, you get Virginia, which should be, you know, not too bad, bad. but then you get, yeah, they're pretty bad. And then you get at your, you go to NC state to Florida state. And then you have that just a one home game on the back half of the season, which is Louisville and then up to Boston college. So I think it's going to be the start of a, a tough little road skid uh, that Miami's going to have to kind of work through. Next question comes from the shirtless sheriff who asks besides Booker Pickett, which recruit did we move the needle with most following Saturday's game against Texas A&M? Yeah, for me, I think it's both of those, uh, you know, both of those mainland kids uh, up in Daytona Beach, uh, LJ McRae and Xavier Mincy. And uh, I, I wrote I wrote here, I'm recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I wrote on Tuesday morning that I do think Miami's in a better position for LJ McRae that I think most people give him credit for. Uh, George is a school he's linked to a lot. Uh, they already have a massive defensive line class. It seems like they're in a really good position for five-star Aiden Breland as well. He's going to be visiting Georgia for their game this weekend. I'm not sure who they play, but he's going to be back up there. I mean, Florida's another school, but Florida's kind of going through its thing right now. Uh, I do think he likes FSU. And and you look, I think Miami's just kind of thought of as like a school kind of in the background or in the back half of that top five. But uh, I don't think internally they feel that way at all. I think they feel like they're very much in that recruitment and him coming and visiting Miami, taking in that Texas A&M game again. He told me it was validation for him. And look, I, I think uh, I think Miami's just going to continue to work really, really hard in that recruitment. They want they need to sign a, another top tier interior defensive lineman. And I think Mincy's been a guy that I mean that I think McCray's been a guy that has long been, you know, thought of as a top, top, top of the board type of guy. Uh, you know, they think he has as high of a ceiling as anyone else in this class. I've said that before. It's been the truth for months and months now. Uh, so I think Miami's way in there for McCray, and I think them beating Texas A&M, um, I think that that did move the needle. And then same for Xavier Mincy. 
Uh, he told me he had just told his mom after the game or just like he had just had the conversation with his mom that he wants to make that silent commitment like sometime this coming week. So who knows when in that week that happens. But he said he literally had just had that conversation with his mom. And so if he's, he's teasing, had, he's teasing a silent commitment. He's teasing a silent commitment, which is okay. strange. Uh, because if you are going to be silently committed somewhere, I don't know how much you want to broadcast that, but he's being very open about this silent commitment. And okay. look, he told me, he said he had just had that conversation with his mom. Like he said, literally. So I'm not sure if he literally meant literally, if you meant like Miami, literally, where literally could have meant, could have been not very literal. Um, but he said he had just had that conversation with his mom and the game had just finished. So did he have that conversation with her while like after the game ended kind of indicating that Miami was maybe the school he wanted to silently commit to who knows. I'm not saying that that is the case, but I do know that Miami's has been in a really good spot in that recruitment. Um, I've written that, uh, you know, I've talked about that. I do think Miami's in a really good spot with Xavier Mincy. He's going to go see Florida this weekend. Both of them are going to be at Florida this weekend. They play Tennessee. So let's see how that result kind of, goes down and see how maybe that impacts things. But I do think both those guys, uh, you know, this win, uh, you know, moves the needle. So Guapo 415 asks, which recruit or recruits have the highest percentage to flip to Miami? So just flip watch. I mean, we know like when guys that are highly, that Miami really wants, uh, when they commit elsewhere, Mario Cristobal does not give up on those guys because they commit elsewhere. So, you know, I don't know about highest percentage, but I mean, if you want to put a percent on it, go for it, Gabby. But just yeah, the, guys, <laughs> the, the guys that people should know that, you know, Miami's going to keep chopping wood on. And, and if these res good results keep coming, uh, they're going to be in a good spot to potentially flip. Yeah, you know, I think two guys just I'm not saying imminently or just like anything like that, but I just think two guys that are just kind of in that possibility of like, oh, maybe this could actually happen. Uh, one guy I'm definitely looking at is Francis Brew, the defensive lineman out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, through four games, he has four and a half sacks, 14 tackles for loss. Miami offered him after like a two game cut. Uh, it does seem like he's highly interested in coming down to Miami and checking them out. Pittsburgh's not off to like the hottest start. I think they lost to Cincinnati over the weekend. Um, and it seems like, you know, that they, they obviously lost a lot as well with a, a bunch of guys off to the NFL. The NFL. Uh, they had a good team last year, but I think they're still trying to figure out, um, you know, what they are this year. So I think he's one that, that I'm really looking at closely. Another name that's kind of emerging is Nye Carr, the wide receiver out of Moultrie, Georgia. It plays at Colquitt County. Already has close to 500 yards receiving and nine touchdowns through four games. Um, he's. It seems like he's looking around. He was at Florida State uh, for their Southern Miss game. He's committed to Georgia. Uh, okay. So he's uh, he's one of Georgia's commits. He's like a top 150 player for us. Um, you know, at 24-7 sports, I think he's ranked much higher on the composite. I think he's like a top 60 player on the composite. Um, but yeah, so he would he visited Auburn at the end of July, like unofficially for their big cat weekend. He was at Florida State for their uh, home opener against Southern Miss. And I was trading some DMs with him and he said, you know, I think they're trying, I think he's trying to figure out a date, but it does sound like he's very interested in visiting Miami. And I think there's mutual interest there. So uh, it does seem like he's kind of looking around. And I think Miami is definitely one of the schools he's going to be looking at uh, closest and you know, wrote on Monday a bunch of, you know, potential flip candidates. I'm not saying these guys are flipping, but guys that Miami would like to flip. And, uh, you know, just to highlight some of those guys, like 
you know, five-star cornerback Ellis Robinson, another Georgia commit is a guy that's talked about over the course of the cycle, how much he wants to see Miami win. So Miami winning a game like Texas A&M, I think doesn't hurt them there. Uh, he's been around Miami a ton. Again, I think it's a long way to go to see if that's even possible, but the only way it is, is by winning games. I think that that was a big one. Uh, you know, Miami's really trying to sell this offense to a guy like Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver committed to Ohio State, uh, and just what they're able to do, you know, in the passing game. Miami has two of his teammates committed in Saquon Patterson and Josiah Trader. So maybe that means something, maybe it doesn't. But I think, uh, you know, as long as Miami maintains its high-level offensive production, I think that he's um, another one who, you know, maybe down the line in December or something like that, see where the chips kind of fall. Another one that I think uh, is just maybe worth monitoring, uh, Amir Jackson, the tight ends committed to, to Florida. He camped for Miami or just worked out privately for Miami in June, early June. Uh, and they loved him after that workout. And he ended up committing to Florida. Um, but I think that there's still open communication. And I think he's another one that Miami's still working on along with Devon Mitchell, who's probably the top tight end on the board. So those are just a few names to highlight. There's more on the website if you want to go check that out from, from Monday. Next question is from J1711, who asks, how do you sell elite wide receivers like Jeremiah Smith and Ryan Wingo on our current quarterback room, assuming Tyler Van Dyke goes pro and Judd Anderson? So... I'll I'll just start this and you can take it wherever you want to take it, Gabby. But it, you know, I think number one, this question kind of has the assumption that the current quarterback room isn't good. And I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think Miami likes both Emery and Jakari, and I think they feel like they can sell that. Um and, and the other part to that, how would I sell it? I'd hammer Shannon Dawson's track record of wide receiver production in his offense. When you when you exclude the 2020 COVID year when I think Houston didn't play very many games, um you know the the leading receiver in Shannon Dawson's offenses over the span of 11 seasons. So this is at Houston, this is at West Virginia, this is at Kentucky and this is at Southern Miss. Um the average leading receiver of those 11 seasons was 75 receptions for 1,044 yards and 11 touchdowns. So this includes guys like Tank Dell at Houston most recently. Then you got the West Virginia guys like Kevin White, Stedman Bailey, Tavon Austin. Then you got even some um, some guys that aren't necessarily known like Southern Miss Corey Robertson, Southern Miss Allen Staggers. So I think the sell would be, look, this offense produces elite wide receiver production and quite a few guys who have gone on to be drafted. So I think that's the pitch. And also too, I, you know, receivers do look at quarterback rooms and they should, cause that's important. Uh, but I think, I think Miami feels good about the, the quarterback room with what they got, um, you know, regardless of, of Judd Anderson. Yeah. And I think if you're selling the quarterback room and, uh, you know, you kind of sell like, you know, again, if you believe in Emery Williams, like you think that he has similar, you know, skill set to Tyler Van Dyke. Be like, hey, like this is what Tyler Van Dyke looked like as a as a true freshman like this. Like Tyler Van Dyke was not Tyler Van Dyke right now as a true freshman. We think Emery Williams could be that or something close to that. And then again, even the track record of just quarterback play, like how he's been able to kind of get the most out of these quarterbacks the way he just got, you know, has kind of reignited Tyler Van Dyke's career. Clayton Toon had a great career. Um, 
at Houston where he threw for a ton of yards and even West Virginia, he had a guy like Geno Smith and even, you know, I forgot who the guy was after who ended up being, you know, a productive passer for West Virginia as well. Um, so I, and I think you, you could even point back to like, I think Shannon Dawson just knows how to evaluate the quarterback position. And when, you know, talking about a guy like Emery Williams, like, you know, maybe he was kind of a three-star guy. People forget that, that Shannon Dawson had Mac Jones committed to Kentucky when no one really knew who Mac Jones was. And then Alabama kind of turned the heat up uh, over the course of his senior year and then obviously flipped into Alabama. So I think Shannon Dawson just kind of knows what he's doing uh, with the quarterback position. Um, and again, I, you just sell the scheme, you know, all the stats that you yeah. said, those are fantastic stats. Like I think you just, you just turn on the tape. Like, this is what my offense looks like. This is what my offense does. And I think that that sells itself. And again, the quarterback room at this point, what we know of it, like, again, they love the quarterback room and it's probably not complete yet because I still think that there is a window in, you know, a transfer, an opportunity for a transfer to kind of emerge in December. We'll see how that works. because I do think they like Emory Williams maybe more now than they did before. And I still think that they really value Chikari Brown, obviously, but I still think that it's important to see like what can this offense attract in December yeah. and what becomes available to see, you know, what's going to like, you don't even, we don't even know what the quarterback situation is going to look like in 2024 and beyond because of just the transfer portal and what the, that potentially has in store for everything. So, right. uh, you know, I do think you just sell the system, you sell the, again, the long lineage of production. And uh, again, I think that speaks for itself. Time is, I don't know how to say this username because it's either time is Tino or Tim is team team is Tino team is Tino Tim is Tino. So, I don't know. So yeah, he asks, I would, I would, I would lean Tim, Tim is Tino Tim asks, which player from the portal this off season that went elsewhere. Do you wish was on Miami's roster right now? So, I can't say Travis Hunter, right? It no, has to I mean, be I tried like to make legitimate... it realistic. Yeah, I tried yeah, to make yeah. it like a legit target, like someone who was actually like possible who just right. didn't come here. So that's where I went with it. I mean, yeah, you can go I wherever agree. you want with it. I agree. I agree. I agree. But Travis Hunter is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Travis Hunter would be the, the obvious the obvious answer. So I go just D-tackle. I go position of need. Yeah. And so I go the big body D tackle. And there's two names in particular that kind of stand out to me. Number one, Justin Rogers, who went from Kentucky to Auburn, couldn't work out because of the academic side of things with, with transferring to Miami, but he would be nice. And then the other one, Cameron Jackson from Memphis to Florida. He's a massive D tackle. He's like six, six, three seventy. He'd be a nice big body for, for Miami to have as well. Yeah, for me, I kind of just I was I just ran through PFF and I know that doesn't tell the whole story, but another defensive lineman who's having, uh, you know, I guess again, very small sample size, two games. But Kiwi Rose for Arkansas uh, is the third highest graded defender on that team already has two sacks, uh, four total pressures, has an interception for the Razorbacks. Louisiana six, Tech, right? Yeah, he's a Louisiana Tech transfer, uh, six, three. 
303, ended up picked Arkansas over Miami uh, there at the very end. He's already, he's played 47 snaps, which is, you know, he's a key, he's a part of that Arkansas defensive line rotation. Uh, So he's, he's been good to this point too. Another one. And then this is kind of circumstantial just because of what's kind of happened, but still um, I think it's, I think it it would make sense. Just, it would help Miami right now is, is Ty Sheen Johnson uh, who visited Miami and then signed with Oregon. He's played the most snaps of anyone on that Oregon defense uh, with 118 to this point. I think that's the second highest uh, defender uh, that's played the most snaps is 90 and it's a linebacker. So Taishin Johnson has been a, you know, he plays safety. So obviously with Cam Kitchens kind of down and again, the uncertainty around that, uh, I think Taishin Johnson would be a really nice guy to have on the team right now. I looked up Andre Sam too, who ended up going to LSU, but I mean, Taishin seems to be having a little bit better of a year to this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's probably who I'd lean on. Then offensively, I mean, to me, it would probably just be a wide receiver. Like I think you could, make the argument like I think I mean Xavier Henderson I think is the one that's probably been the most productive Dante Thornton at Tennessee has he hasn't done anything he hasn't done anything to this point I think maybe the only other argument again as as far as like maybe semi-realistic would probably be the Andreal Anthony kid who Miami like openly offered and and you know recruited um and he he's at Oklahoma and I think he has like 130 yards uh, or or something like that to this point he went like seven for 75 against smu with a with a long touchdown but um you know truthfully none of those transfer wide receivers that we kind of coveted in the offseason have done a ton other than xavier henderson who i think did it against an fcs opponent against pittsburgh he only had like one catch for 10 yards um so he, it's not like okay. he really did it again in, in in that you know acc matchup for uh but i still think he's super talented and you know i think he would still be good to have but yeah that was those are the names that I kind of came up with offensively and defensively. So a lot of the questions, there was like, I don't know, a bunch of these type of questions yeah. uh, from Jung04 asks, what guys from the 2024 class, so Miami's current commits, might Miami drop given the tight numbers and some big name guys potentially ready to jump on board? Yeah, I mean, this is obviously an extremely delicate question and not like... And I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to like directly like start name dropping guys. I would say this. I would just say this first. The first thing is landing big name guys. Yeah. That's the first step in all that. And once you like the numbers always figure themselves out. And once you name bit, once you land those big name guys, then guys start to get dropped. Like you don't do one before the other. Before the other. Yeah. It's like. So again, first Miami actually has to land these guys. And I think once you start landing them, then again, these are, I mean, it's all just like, so Miami already has 22 kids committed. And I think that's where the whole thing comes from. And I I do believe that they want to stick to that 25 number because you can go over, but you don't want to go super far over because you still want to kind of have that rot, that balance of your roster. You still want to keep like keep a door open or keep room open for the transfer portal. Because uh, you do sure. want to be able to go get guys if you want it, so you don't want to like oversign and then kind of again you kind of just create like an imbalance. So I do think Miami maybe might be tight on numbers twenty maybe maybe they I mean I think they want to sign twenty five like maybe they push it to twenty six or twenty seven if they have to. But first of all they have to keep winning. Second of all they have to actually get these guys. And then that would be like the last step in all of this. And yeah. look, I mean, I I think that we're still away, away from that. But let's say they did continue to win. Uh, you know, they do do all the things. They 
continue to have a very good season and they accomplish their goals, whatever they may be, AC, play for an AC championship game. Uh, you know, maybe you beat Clemson at home and, you know, you're right. You know, you just have a very good year and guys want to jump on board. Uh, you know, you, I think you get to a point where you have to have start, you have, you have to start having some really tough conversations and you kind of look back to the end of last season, what Miami did in like late November to December. Uh, it was guys like Collins, a and Pong jumped on board. Ruben Bain jumped on board. Mark Fletcher jumped on board. Samson Lola jumped on board. Joshua Horton jumped on board. So like, I do think that there's, and I, I think it was different because you didn't have so many kids committed at that point. But um, yeah, you know, I think if you start, do start building momentum to the point where you're going to get these guys. I do think that there may have to be some tough conversations and uh, sure. you know, that's never easy, but I think that's the position you put yourself in when you kind of load up in the summer, put yourself in this kind of not, it's not really a bind. Cause again, I think it all, you always figure it out. Um, but right. you kind of put, you have to, you know, do all these things. And again, I think it's just a part of the process and I think it's a part of just everything. And, you know, it's, maybe the ugly side of it, but we'll see if Miami even gets to a point where they even have to start doing that. Right. Tally Kane 10 asks, I asked preseason about Lance Gidry and how good can he be at Miami? I asked, could he get his defense into the top 25? And there was some still, there was some skepticism on if it could be top 25 after two games. How do y'all feel about that? Do y'all think top 25 is, is truly possible? Obviously, injuries can have something to do with this, but if we can stay healthy, what do you think? So, you know, I, I think right now, if you look at analytics, and again, it's two games, so it's a very small sample size. No doubt, Miami's defense has improved, though, um, since last season. If you look at Bill Con Connolly's ESPN S&P Plus, which does a good, wit, which does a good job of, of kind of uh, analyzing the data and kind of showing what teams are doing well on offense, what teams are doing well on defense, et cetera, et cetera. In that analytic, Miami, Miami's defense ranks 22nd right now. The ESPN FBI, which has its own algorithms, et cetera, has Miami's defense ranked number 29 overall in the country. So through two weeks, they are definitely in that range. For me, you know, I will admit, like before the season, I was skeptical that they could even be a top 40 defense. I just because of that jump, just that logical. Can they really make that big of a jump from what they were uh, in 2022 to being even a top 40 defense? I would be happy if they were a top 40 defense this year where I'm kind of at right now. Like, I think top 25 is doable, but I think it's more of like a, a top 35 ish expectation for me where I'm at right now. I think, you know, you still have games on the schedule. Like North Carolina is a good offense. They're the number 17 offense in the country right now. Miami's going to have to go there uh, and play them. Miami's going to have to go to FSU, who has a number eight offense in the country right now. And then Louisville, who I think is a team that's going to keep getting better early on in this Jeff Brom first year. They're the number 37 offense. So um, you know, relative to like the, the, the offenses on the schedule, which matters, of course, I think top 35 ish, which I don't think that's like a slight, I think that's a very impressive year over year improvement compared to last year when I think Miami was like low 60 low or high sixties, low seventies, maybe defensively 
depending on the analytic you were looking at. So I think top 25 is doable, but if it was top 25, it's going to be to me like just squeaking in under 25 or at 25. I'm at like number 35 ish is kind of what I'm thinking. What do you think, Abby? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, this defense is obviously way more improved. I mean, it's been so far, uh, you know, way more improved. And again, I, I think the fact that we're even having this conversation is really good because we were, we were taught, I think we had, I think in one of the last mailback podcasts, we talked about can this be a top 40 defense. Yeah. And now we're already kind of, we're already kind of pushing the, we're kind of like moving the needle a little bit, kind of be maybe even better than that. Yeah. And I think those convert the fact that we're having those conversations and feeling like, you know, we can already start talking about maybe that next tier to this point. Again, I think it's just a testament to, to Lance Gidry and the work that he's done so far and, and what we've seen from them so far. And the question wants to take out the injuries. And I don't think you can do that. Yeah, so definitely like, can't do that. We have to see how they respond to all that. That's kind of how that's another reason why I wouldn't go top 25, just because you know, injuries are going to happen and that's a big deal for where this team's at right now with their depth. So, uh, but the bottom line is they're taking a big step forward defensively. I think that's pretty clear. Um, but the talent just has to keep leveling up on both sides, the whole team. Uh, Mitch good asks question on the backup quarterback situation. Did Emery play as the backup quarterback against Miami of Ohio because he is the true QB two and beat out Jakari. Or is it because they wanted to save Emery games to redshirt him? So I think they meant, like, do they want to save Jakari games to redshirt him? Um, So, again, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. But my understanding is that, look, if Tyler Van Dyke gets hurt, Emery is is the guy that goes in first. I think they're going to work hard to preserve the redshirt of Jakari. And if they feel like, they want to implement him in a package in one of his four games that he can play in and preserve that red shirt. They're going to do that. I'll admit, I, I am curious if we will see both of them this week. I kind of assume we will. Um, and I think, frankly, personally, I think it'd be good to get that work in for both those guys, even Jakari, even though he wants to red shirt. Um, I think there's something to game reps and if he can get game reps this week where he's actually, you know, functioning in in a real offense, uh, not just kind of like a gadget play type of deal. I think there's value to that. Um, but in terms of like, is, is Emery QB two, I guess, you know, if you're going to like pin me down and ask me, I, I kind of think it's fair to say Emery is QB two. I don't think Miami wants to announce it or is going to announce it. Uh, but, and, and you can read into that however you want in terms of what this means for the future with Emery being the guy that would go in for Tyler, et cetera, et cetera. I think the bottom line is, you know, I, I think they just want Emery and Jakari to, to keep competing and stay on edge. So that's my total read on it. But yes, who's the true QB2? If you made me, you know, I, I do think it's Emery. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think that Emery, and I just think the way people should look at it too, I just think the transition from Emery, I mean, from Tyler to Emery, I'm just talking about like if something were to happen. The transition from throwing Tyler in, like from having Tyler, yes, schematically, it makes more sense to go Emery because Emery has, you know, again, a, 
similar kind of skill set as you know where they're they can do a lot of the same things and obviously emery's at a different point of his career all that stuff but you don't have to change a ton i think if you go tyler to emery versus if you go tyler to jakari i feel like it just changes more for everyone it changes more for the entire offense and again i think that's why you know with jakari it's you know you have packages in place for him and truthfully i don't think jakari's you know or the people really around him really want him to play like I don't, I think that they really, I mean, I think everyone, they want, I think the, Jakari, red shirt. They want the red shirt. I think everyone, yep. you know, I don't think that this is a situation where Jakari would be sitting on the sideline, like, cro- like with his arms crossed, like sitting no, down no. if he didn't get in the game. Like he is all about, you know, playing in four games max and getting that red shirt year and getting that year back of development. Uh, so, you know, I don't think that this is, it would even be like a situation like, Oh, we have to kind of monitor this because what's Jakari like maybe, you know, all, I don't think that that's the case here at all. I um, agree. I, do, yeah. I, if he doesn't play against Bethune, I wouldn't read too much into it at all. At all. I wouldn't. Yeah. And he would probably, it would probably be a preference of him to just be like, I would rather play in some, you know, bigger games if you need right. me or want to use me then. And like, I'm just, getting you know practice reps and practice and like he's just like this is a developmental year for jakari brown in his mind and you know the people i think around are kind of i think everyone seems to be on the same page so i don't think yeah. jakari is eager to get on the field uh you know if that makes sense again and it, especially if it doesn't help him preserve that so um i guess that's the best way i can answer that question attention business owners i'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP. The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial 
And let's take pride in our finances. Next question comes from C03121207, who asks, what is the likelihood we pull some big names on the defensive line out of the portal that are likely to jump ship at the end of the year? So, and then he goes on, the question goes on to name like Tumisia Adeleye, Shamar Stewart, David Hicks, by Job. So these are players that Miami recruited or, you know, whether at a high school or in the portal that they missed on. So I don't think you need to go specifically like that. Right. Naming <laughs> names, but I think just big picture wise, Gabby, do you think defensive line is going to be a priority position in the portal? Absolutely. I, I think until they get that defensive line, uh, you know, to the point of where they want it to be, uh, I think that they're always going to kind of go after defensive linemen in the transfer portal. I mean, that's such a premium position. And I think whenever you can get quality at that at those spots, especially at like defensive tackle, uh, I think Miami's going to exhaust all options and, you know, just do whatever it kind of takes to get those types of guys. So, yeah, you know, I, I fully expect Miami to be active in the defensive tackle transfer market and you know we'll see we'll see what that looks like they were extremely active this past cycle I mean I don't think it went exactly the way that they wanted it to go um but and I fully expect them to be extremely active in December and uh you know even post spring after that you know just to to get it to look I look a, a certain way and I look I think now now that people actually know what this Lance Gidry system looks like I think it's going to be a lot easier to kind of sell, yeah. uh, you know, a defensive the tackle. Thing, on, hey, like, yeah. Knowing who the coordinators are, that's a big yeah. deal to transfers, you know, For and sure. that was somewhat up in the air last year. Definitely, also too, yeah. you yeah. went five and seven, like transfers yeah. aren't here for like, you know, rebuilds necessarily. So mm-hmm. um, I think if they continue to have a solid season, they will have more success in the portal this off season compared to last season. Um Bump and Meat asks, deserted island foods. You get to choose two. Oh, man. I had a hard time with this one. Like, can I choose like a meal from somewhere? Or do I have to be like individual yeah. foods? No, you could choose. You could choose a meal. You could choose individual food. Okay. I can only choose two. Yeah. All right. So I'll take a smoothie, like just like a fruit smoothie. Really? Why? Yeah. Just like, I just like smoothies. Like, I'm a smoothie guy. Okay. But does uh, that have to do with you being on like a deserted island? Or is I that don't know. Just, you like? I just smoothies. like it. Yeah, okay. I just it'll be refreshing. It'll be hot. So okay. if I can get like okay. a cold smoothie, like in the mornings, I'd be down for that. And then I'll take like. What's in your like, smoothie? Give me your smoothie order. Okay, I do vanilla oat milk. Uh, I mean, I make my home, so like we'll, we'll buy okay. like frozen fruits and stuff like that. I go uh vanilla oat milk, uh like yo this like yogurt. It's called like Too Good Vanilla Yogurt. We just get it all at Target. And then we, I buy like this bag and it's like an antioxidants. I don't even know what, like, it's just good. It's like cherry, it's like cherries, uh, strawberries, a couple of different types of berries and stuff. Um, I'll throw some like mango in there and uh, sometimes some pineapple too. And I'll just blend that all up. All right. Other, just, the other food item. I'll just do like a Chipotle bowl. I can just, I can eat Chipotle Ooh. every day of my life. <laughs> oh, I love this. I love this. Yeah. Okay. Um, do I need to rip off my Chipotle order too? Like, are we doing that too? Well, we'll get in that later. <laughs> Bookmark. That. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I like complete opposite of you. So I'm gonna go like a good steak. Good steaks hard to beat. Um. Uh, so I'm going with a good steak, and you know your boy could probably eat pizza every day. Yeah. Never get tired of it. So just pizza, steak Love and that. pizza. Okay. All right. 
Next question comes from South Florida Green Child, who asks, what is David's one awful food take akin to Gabby's? Oh, I think I see where this is going. Hatred of Cuban sandwiches. You're not a Chipotle guy? Well, let me say this, right? So I, in general, I'm not picky about food. I, I am, I'm a, I'm a garbage disposal eater. Um, I'll eat anything. I'll eat everything. I'm not picky. Uh, I'll eat Chipotle, right? But I will admit I'm not a Chipotle guy. I, to me, it's just like eating a bowl of salt. It's just like so <laughs> salty. A Chipotle meal makes me feel like my mouth is salty for like 48 wow. hours. Okay. Um, but again, I'll eat it. I'll just eat it under protest. Just not a fan. That's um, interesting. And like, I don't know if this is a bad take or whatever, but like, again, I, I love pizza and I'm not a pizza snob at all. And I understand the difference between good pizza and bad pizza. But look, man, I grew up in Florida. So like I grew up on chain pizza. And so like, to me, Papa John's is like good pizza. Like I like oh, Papa, John's. Papa John's. Papa John's is fantastic pizza. Papa John's is my we're favorite. Gonna, of the... We're going to get roasted for this probably. No way. You think Papa, I don't know. Is that a, is that a bad take? I love Papa John's. That's like my favorite of like the pizza snobs, like chain place. Pizza snobs look down on chains, right? So that's, that just, that's what I'm saying. But I, I like all the chains, honestly. Like, I don't know. I like, yeah, uh, I, know. I like little Caesars. I like pizza hut. I like Domino's. I'll eat it all. Yeah, um, so I don't know if those are like bad food takes, but yeah, I, I was have... trying. To, I was trying to think of something that I don't like, kind of like how you don't like Cuban sandwiches. And I was, I really couldn't find anything. Like I'm like, yeah. uh, and then it just dawned on me, like, yeah, you know, sometimes the wife wants Chipotle, and I'm just like, eh, I'll have a PBJ. <laughs> yeah, well, PBJs are all are all time also so... all time snack. But I do eat Chipotle, I don't know, once every six months, and then I regret it. Wow. It's just way too much salt. See, I've, way, never, way, I've never felt the salty way. thing. I've never, like, gone that. Like, I don't know. Way I've too never... much. Okay. I don't it's know. Gross. I feel like now I'm going to have to start thinking about, like, I feel like the next time I have it, I'm going to think about that. I've never really come away feeling like like feeling that way about Chipotle before. Like, Chipotle is one of those things where it's just like, I don't know what to eat. Like, all right, I'm going to Chipotle. Like me and Nat could split it. Like I'll just get a tortilla on the side. I'll make myself like a little burrito. Nat will have like the rest of the rice. I'll just get like double brown rice. And See, if Nat... I if I want something like that, I'm going to Chicken Kitchen or Three Chefs, you know? Yeah, I guess. It's way better. See, I just think Chipotle's better. I also like steak. Like, you I like get Chipotle, steak Chipotle better than, than Chicken chefs? Kitchen? All right, I don't know about Three Chefs. Three Chefs to me could be like, there's times where I just like I hate my life for like 12 hours after three chefs just because like if it's you heavy. get it. Yeah, it's heavy. I feel like Chipotle is not as heavy. OK, Tim Estino asks, how have guys like Samson Okunlola and Josh Horton looked in practice so far? So, you know, obviously we don't watch practice. They don't yeah. let us. But, uh, you know, just for what we hear, you know, I think they're they're definitely happy with both those guys. But again, they play line of scrimmage position. So it's hard for freshmen to crack the rotation when that's the case i wouldn't be surprised if both those guys maybe in the last month of the season start seeing some sort of snaps as rotational players i think the focus for samson is just getting that body stronger in a college weight room program um 
just that functional strength, but everyone loves Samson and, and his potential. They think he's going to be a big time player. I would say the same of Horton. Um, you know, he arrived in the summer, so it's even a harder transition for him to get on the field right away this week. You mentioned it, but this week I'm, I'm curious to see what type of havoc Josh Horton can cause up front. Cause just like body type perspective, he looks the part of what you want at defensive tackle. So I don't know if you have anything to add there, Gabby, but. Yeah, no, just to echo, just to echo you a little bit. I mean, just with Samson, again, I think a lot of it's just kind of like the punch, you know, like they want yeah. to just kind of get stronger, especially in that upper body. Um, You know, I think that that's still, a, that's still somewhere where he's still just kind of like developing physically. So I think that that's probably the, like, you know, he's just, he's just going like he's still growing and developing and all those things. I I mean, they love, they think the world of Samson, Akin, Lola. Um, and then Josh Horton, like similar lines where I think he just kind of got in late and defensive tackles a really hard position to kind of just like walk in and, and contribute yeah. right away. Uh, so but he again, looks I think the he, part. Like, absolutely. Horton, oh, yeah. for sure. He's going to be a good player. Like, I yeah. think he's going to be a, I think we're going to be talking about him next year. Like we're going to be talking yeah, about yeah. him a lot, like going into 2024. But I just think right now we're, he's still in the process of, you know, figuring it all out. Slim Dick Jerry asks, are we redshirting Jaleel Skinner this year? I don't I don't know if I'll I don't say know if it's on purpose. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. You know, maybe. like I think it's like I think primarily it's just a performance deal. I mean, we've yeah, talked sure. we've we've talked about him on this podcast as a player that's somewhat inconsistent and he has his strengths. Like he is a very intriguing tight end in terms of like yards after catchability, like he can take a quick pass and pick up 15 yards after the catch. There's not many tight ends that have that potential, have that ability, but he's also a guy that's a little inconsistent with, with catching the ball, especially in contested catch situations, which if you're a tight end, you have to be good at contested catch situations because separation is just not something that tight ends really do. They kind of win with their size, right? Yeah. Um, and also too, he's just, he's got to get bigger and stronger. I mean, he still has a ways to go in the weight room to me. And so personally, like, I think a red shirt isn't the worst thing in the world for no, him, it's not. you know, long-term future wise. Um, but yeah, there was quite a few Jaleel Skinner questions here. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I think you just kind of, well, just watch the way Miami kind of uses the tight ends. And, uh, I just think that. You know, I I just still think that Jalil physically is is still a ways away from doing all those things at the line of scrimmage that he needs to do because he can't throw Jalil Skinner on the field and just that you're just kind of like, you know, signaling to the world that like you're passing. You know, I think they need yeah. him to kind of do he's some a flex of those things. Tight end right, now. right. He's a flex tight end right now, which is fine. Like you could yeah. be a flex tight end, but I just think the way that Miami's operating right now is like you still like as that guy you need to be able to hold your own at the line of scrimmage. Um, and I think that that's just a place where he's still really growing. And again, he's still physically maturing as well. So, and look, he, he truthfully probably, again, he's probably a guy that should have redshirted last year. Like he should have Agreed. been able to, like he's a guy that physically needed to, he was really long and lean and all those things. Like I still think he needs to grow and he, I think he's on his way. And again, I think he has really good. I think there's times where he has really good days and then some not yes. so good days. He has freak so, potential. Yeah, he has He's insane potential. Put it all together. Put yeah. it all together. And I think with Shannon Dawson, I think he could be a weapon. But I yeah. still, I, I just think he needs to do it at the line of scrimmage. You, you see how 
tight they kind of keep Cam McCormick and Riley Williams of where they put them in and where they line them up. Like, you need to be able to to block dudes. And, um, you know, maybe against some other teams where that aren't going to be maybe as physical on the line of scrimmage or where it's just not going to be like, you don't like, you know, you're just going to like overmatch someone. Maybe you can just kind of use them in certain ways like that. But I, I still think he needs to grow a lot uh, physically. And I think that that's maybe the biggest holdup of anything else. And honestly too, like this Bethune game is a big opportunity for him. Like at the end of the day, playing time really is cut and dry. Yeah. You know, you got to you got to give the coaches a reason to play you. And so if you go out and make plays against Bethune, you know, you start to uh, to spark, carve out a role of yourself, spark some interest. Right? right. And but if you don't, if you if you go out against Bethune and drop a pass, or don't do like it, that. just don't make an impact. Then, yeah, how are you going to make an impact against a power five team? Yeah. Uh, anyways. Frank with a C asks, given how thin we are at D-line after this week, what players do you think we haven't seen a lot of that we may start to get some real burn? So we've touched on this a little bit, yep. I guess, but the three guys I'm most interested in, just because it's Bethune and, and, you know, it's a time to get guys outside of the two deep in the game. Jaden Wayne. I For think sure. there's something there. I don't know about this year, but you know, it's a nice little starting point. Anthony Campbell, you talked about him. I agree. I'd like to see what he can do against Bethune and then Josh Wharton. Those are the three guys on the D line that kind of interest me most. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, I think Jaden Wayne is probably one of the most, and I think the same goes for uh, Joshua Horton. And yeah, I mean, Anthony Anthony Campbell too. I mean, I think those are three guys where you kind of want to see. Um, you know what else that they, what else they can kind of do there so I mean I think for me those are those are absolutely three and then you know even like Ahmad Moten you know I'm still kind of intrigued by all that I still think he has a lot more to go to but uh you know I still think that he's someone else I'd like to see maybe just kind of continue to take some of those next steps but uh, I think the three that you said are the right three all right we will get out of here on that I appreciate everyone for listening again the Thune Cookman game Thursday night 7.30 kick ACC Network. Come out and support this team. They won a big game on uh, Saturday against Texas A&M. Come out and support this team because they are on the right trajectory. And it's always fun watching Miami Hurricanes football live and in person. Appreciate Evan for listening. And until next time, take care.